Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the 2002 film Spider-Man. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do listen without having seen it, just be aware there may be spoilers. Enjoy. And they say that the big boys can save us. I'm not gonna stand here and wait. I'm gonna record a podcast, put it online far away. <laughs> and they'll listen in. Listening. They'll listen in. Listening. As, as they send in hate comments. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing the part there, I assume, from Josie Scott, who is Guy the from featured saliva. artist. I don't think I've ever heard a Saliva song. Ah, they were on one of the Kerrang! albums from back in the day. Which means I definitely have. So uh, you have, but you don't remember it. Yeah. One of the songs that but you But so what was heard. his contribution to that song? Was he the one doing the backing vocals, the watching us? So he did the watching us, and he also sang the second verse. Oh, because I remember the vi- watching the video for that all the time, but I have no recollection of him. <laughs> yeah, he, he's just a figment of our collective imaginations. Yeah, someone that, that um, Chad Kroger just made up. It's, of course, it's worth remembering that um, the uh, the song is actually by Chad Kroger, not by Nickelback. Uh, so yeah, it is the it's two odd. of them, rather than it being a Nickelback song. And it sounds like any Nickelback song. Like, Why was it not just a Nickelback song? <laughs> It's, it was so weird. I would say that it sounds a little bit more orchestral than your average Nickelback song. That's true. There's some strings in the background, isn't there? Yeah, it's it's his it's his high intensity dramatic cinematic moment. Um, so apparently there are two versions of the song available. Um, and in terms of the other people in the band, so it wasn't just Nickelback in the background of the video either. So it was Mike Kroger who is in Nickelback, who is brother of Chad Kroger. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, who's the bassist. Who I think he's the one who came up with the name Nickelback as well. Where well, he used to work in Starbucks. They'd give him a dollar, you'd get a Nickelback because exactly. it cost one ninety five. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, and then That's you've got... really bad, but not as bad as some <laughs> band names out there. Catfish and the Bottle Man. Exactly. That's, that's, that's <laughs> bad as an origin story, but that's like... Not as bad, not half as bad as some of the names we have today. Because genuinely, all the good band names are taken. They're all gone now. Yeah. There are no good band names left. So sorry, kids, coming up now. <laughs> and then the other people who were in the band that did the song, it was Tyler Connolly, who is the lead singer slash guitarist of Theory of a Dead Man. Oh, yes. Who are another one of those rock bands from Canada. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Matt Cameron as well. from Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. Oh, really? Was the drummer. Ah. Yeah. I was always amazed that he managed to be in both of those bands because they're both really good and they were both <laughs> active. They like overlapping for quite a long time. He was in both bands at the same time. It's just that that is some good structured life there. I want to look at his business plan and all of his diaries and everything <laughs> and see how he managed that. Oh, he's so good at time management. You, you send him a calendar invite, you know it's getting accepted or declined. You know that if he emails you and says, my calendar is up to date, he means it. Uh, yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. Although apparently he didn't appear in the music video. So he recorded it in the studio, but then it was someone else on the drums. going to say, I um, don't remember him being in the video. From a band called Our Lady Peace, who are another Canadian rock band who I've not heard of before. One of my friends at school was really into them. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. I think um, one, of, one of my friends who was from Gibraltar, who was also a big fan of Il Nino and, um, oh, Il Nino. and Breed 77. <laughs> Did you listen to them? I, I know Breed 77. Yeah, they were... Um, oh, where were they from? Yeah, Gibraltar. Yeah, uh, yeah that's right. So you, that's why my friend was into them, because he knew them, I think. Ah, okay. Um they had a song called La Ultima Hora, which was very good. That is a jam. And then they had their 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 big ballad, The River. Do you remember that? Yeah, as well? that's right. 
which which is very hero-esque actually it is yeah although it turns out that apparently it's pronounced breed 77 not breed 77 which i think is completely wrong keep telling yourself that blink 182 (laughs) (laughs) um yeah uh yeah i i was a fan of old breed 77 slash breed 77 as i now know that they're pronounced breed 77 yeah if you got you've got them and il nino on the same bill you're gonna get kicked in the mosh pit (laughs) 100 percent. yeah no i i i had their their big album the one that had the songs on it that everyone knew um and it was it was good i enjoyed it yeah it was good yeah this so this era of kind of not just um not just new metal which we talk about on our other show but there was all this kind of post post grunge rock stuff that was knocking around some of which was really good some of which was terrible but it felt like a nice era didn't it Things were simpler yeah. back then. Things were simpler back then. You could be in a rock band and not have to sing like this to get interested from people in labels. Who's that? That's every indie band from 2006 onwards. All oh, right, yeah. The, 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 your, your, all the bands that you, you hate, like Vampire oh, oh, Weekend. Oh, I'm in a band. <laughs> I can't sing or play my instruments, but I wear skinny jeans. Oh, oh, oh. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Fuck that music, man. <laughs> some of it was really good. I, I have some fun memories of some of it. Like, you've danced to that music in the club. I have and I've seen. I've observed you dancing to that music in and, the club. And some of them are very good. I am a, a staunch Franz Ferdinand defender. I think their debut album and their second album are extremely good post-punky indie music. they got some good but, jams. But yeah. some of it is fucking boring. And that I'm is sorry. a good name. <laughs> well, Franz Ferdinand, yeah, yeah. That is a good band name. Um, I still think one of the best band names i've ever heard is bellasconi which was a band <laughs> of one of our friends absolutely incredible and i band. think that is still one of the best band names i've ever heard did you see um, them live no i never saw them live i saw them live um, once it was a truly transcendent experience i have a photo somewhere i'll see if i can find it and post it in the show notes of our friend jamie wearing uh, used to they all used to wear like black suits like silvio berlusconi and they had all this, these songs about him it was sort of like it was like noise, noise rock, and quite shouty, screaming about Silvio Berlusconi, and he was he was down in the crowd just screaming at everyone. It was great. I mean, that's what we need more of. We need more music like that these days. Yeah, not enough of that. When's the Berlusconi reunion? Well, as long as he can make it work on TikTok, he'll be fine. So it's, it's just going to be you know ten second clips of him shouting about Berlusconi. <laughs> I'm down with that. I want that. Yeah, um, it's probably the anyway. right amount. To be fair. <laughs> Anyway, this week's movie is not about indie bands. This week's movie, no, had the song Hero by Chad Kroger featuring Josie Scott, which was a jam at the time and was on Kerrang! all the time. And I remember seeing it all the time. Like every time I switched on the TV, that was on. And had a great video of Chad Kroger singing on a rooftop, Spider's Men swinging around, like just cuts from the film intercut with it. And it was just iconic. And I loved it. I was very happy every time that was on TV. But in my memory, my headcanon, the song was actually in the film and it wasn't. Was it? It was just no, like on the credits. credits. It wasn't even the first song on the credits. No, they had a little dramatic sequence before they got to that. Yeah. Um, I have got a question for you. Um, the plural of Spider-Man. Is it Spider's Men? Spider's or Spider-Men. <laughs> Spider-Men. Is it like Attorney's General? Or spider's is it Spider's Men? men? Spider's Men. I think it's Spider's Men. Because this is now a thing. Spoiler alert for the latest Spider-Man movie, but they God get all it. of the Spider's Men together. Well, what? Do, how do they describe um, it in there? Because I, I haven't. Seen I don't. It. I don't know. I've not watched it yet. I just know ah, that okay. the, the the plural is, is involved. It is a Spider's Men film, but there's also Spider's Man. Do you know about Spider's Man? Who is Spider's Man? Is he so a man sp- made of spiders? So spy. Yes, actually, Spider's Man is a just a bunch of spiders in a trench coat. Is like an alternate dimension Spider-Man, where after being bitten by radioactive spider. Um, he then turned into a colony of spiders shaped like a man. Is this from the the Spiders verse? So yeah, this is one of the various dimensions of of um, of Marvel, and yeah, one of them is Spiders Man. Right. See, thinking about all of this stuff and it being interconnected just makes my head hurt. I don't want any of that <laughs> stuff. Like, I just want films like Spider Man two thousand and two. This is this is what films should be like, and they're not anymore. See- 
I don't mind it when it's one property that's doing all of the multiple dimension stuff. Like Spider-Man has, has a, had a long history of having weird alternate dimension and future versions of Spider-Man appearing and reappearing all the time. Um, but it's when it crosses over with other Marvel comics that I'm just like, nope, too complicated for me. I'm not going to be able to keep track of this. Yeah. I can handle the Spiders, men, but the the Captain's America? <laughs> no. <laughs> The Incredibles, Hulk, no, not having that. It's got to be some Batman, no. It's, yeah, it's Batman, Hulks. I think it'll be because Incredible. That's the yeah. That's some ba- some Batman. That's going to be the next one with Robert Pattinson. In <laughs> yeah, it. some Batman. Like quiet Bat people from yeah. um, what's it called? Not in the, loop, <laughs> the thick the of TV it series. The thick of it. Quiet yeah, Bat people. Um, but yeah, no, I think you're completely right that. Um, this is I'm not going to say that this is the best superhero movie ever made because Blade exists and that's the best superhero movie ever made but this is up there I think this is this is probably the best introduction to Spider-Man on screen where Spider-Man 2 is probably a better movie um, and we should talk about Spider-Man 2 at some point because yeah. it's really a, a very strong continuation of this. And I know, I know we said we weren't going to do them all in, at once, but I noticed that they're all going off Netflix at the end of this month. So I'm thinking maybe we should do the Spider-Man trilogy. Is that right? Trilogy. How, many, how many weeks have we got We've until got, Halloween? We've got enough time to do all three of them. That's what I'm yeah. thinking. Yeah, so we've got, two, we've got three, three more episodes until Halloween. So... So I think we let's should do the, yeah do those two more. Spy, spiders men September yeah spiders Spide men September yeah <laughs> spider timber <laughs> yeah that, I think that's what we should do because I did notice yeah they're all leaving Netflix um, so it might be good to to get them before they go. Um, do you not but, have um, Walt Disney Plus? I do, but I don't think they're on there. They, I watched it on there. Oh, is it on there as well? Oh, yeah. well, like, Is, isn't it, every Marvel on there because Disney owns Marvel? I don't think Blade's on there. Oh. I had to buy Blade on Blu-ray recently when I felt like watching the Blade trilogy. Recently? You mean you didn't go down to your local CEX and find <laughs> 10 copies of it on DVD for a, a pound each? No, I just got I just got the got the Blu-ray. I want to give Wesley Snipes his residuals. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that means two more two more Spider-Man weeks and then yeah. Yeah, last episode 30th of September that'll have to be something that transitions to Halloween. So we can have a think about that. Like Ghost Rider, a comic book movie starring Nicolas Cage, where he's a spooky ghost uh, skull man. I've never seen that. Neither have I. I have no idea if there's romance in it. Maybe Nicolas I should have Cage. a look. But it does have Nick Cage in it, which is on brand for this. That is this on podcast. brand. And yeah, he, he featured in last year's Halloween, so I feel like that's good. Yeah. Well, God, Mandy was really good. It, yeah. I still think about Mandy every so often. Oh, Mandy. It's- you came and you brought me a chainsaw. <laughs> I'll link to that our episode about that. Yeah, that was, um, that was Amy. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do all three of these because actually, I watched this and I was excited then to rewatch the sequels yeah. because I have very yeah. little recollection of them um, apart from the dance scene in Spider-Man Three. Yeah, I there's there's a few things I remember. I remember the second movie fairly well, and then the third movie, I remember one scene with Sandman and the dancing scene, and that's literally. <laughs> So I'm very excited to revisit them and think about them in terms of relation to the other Spider-Man movies that have come out since, because everyone is very disparaging of Spider-Man 3, but I reckon it's going to have a lot of charm and originality yeah. in comparison to what we've seen recently. I remember it being fun at the time and a little bit out there. Yeah. And yeah. actually maybe sort of presaged a lot of the weird stuff that goes on in the Marvel Universe now, because a lot of that stuff is more out there. You know, at the time, people were probably like, oh, this is a bit weird. I just wanted a straight-up superhero movie. It probably laid some groundwork. Yeah, I think it was a straightforward-ish story told in a weird way, whereas now we have weird stories told in a boring way. Yeah. And it's, okay, which is which is better? Which is better? I'm going to be intrigued to revisit Spider-Man 3, so yes, I'm glad you're on board with that. Um, but Spider-Man, maybe the definitive Spider-Man movie, maybe not as good as Spider-Man 2, and we'll talk about that next week, but yeah. this is probably the most iconic Spider-Man movie, certainly the most memed Spider-Man movie. For me, it is absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think when this came out, I I went to see it in the cinema with some school friends. We all loved it. We had DVDs. We watched it over and over again. 
Um, yeah, that video is on. We were talking about it all the time. But I, I hadn't realised that this was the first ever live-action Spider-Man film. As, again, in my, my head, I thought there'd been one before in the 80s or something, but there hadn't been. There'd only ever been the cartoons. And I remember watching the cartoons when I was a kid with the theme tune, the good theme tune, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. So, I, yeah, when this came out, I was excited to watch it, and I loved it. Everything about it just blew me away. And I think a lot of... And when I re rewatched it, it was genuinely a huge pleasure to rewatch it, and I really enjoyed it. I was expecting to enjoy it, but I enjoyed it even more than I thought I would. And I think a lot of that is because of nostalgia, but a lot of it is because it is also a really good film that holds up. And also because Marvel makes a load of rubbish now, and <laughs> like this is an example of that. It not being that <laughs> it's a it's a it's a movie with personality which is something you don't get very often yeah. but also um, it's really i think extremely accessible you could go into this knowing literally nothing about spider-man or marvel or anything and enjoy it yeah no completely right um and yeah you're completely right that this was the the first proper spider-man movie so there'd been a tv show in the 70s and then there'd been straight-to-TV full-length movies. Um, so one of them was the pilot for the TV show, and then I think they made a couple of sequels, but they're all for television. Right. And then there was Japanese Spider-Man. Do you know about Japanese Spider-Man? No. Um, so basically, it was um, a, a spin-off slash sequel to um a spider-man television series that was also running in the 70s and i don't know why there was this big push in the 70s i guess maybe off the back of the superman movies oh okay and um it's very strange there's a a, a sort of robotic swordfish that shoots torpedoes and stuff like that and and big monsters like a, a giant mech and stuff like that it's very strange. It's not very Spider-Man-y, but it exists, and it's sounds really good. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to look at how divergent things were back then when it came to source material. Um, but yeah, when you look at this, this is, I mean, this is in the era when you were doing origin stories for superheroes, and people weren't rolling their eyes yet. So you had the Batman movies that started in the eighties. That, that served as an introduction. Yeah. Um, this was the first Spider-Man movie, so it has that kind of introduction to the character. Um, and then you had the X-Men movies, for instance, in, in the in the 2000s as well. Yeah. Um, and Blade, of course, as mentioned, that all of these serve as introductions to the characters and have those kind of origin pieces to them. But I think this is probably the most well-rounded of them because it is literally that introductory element that, provides an overview of who he is as a character and how that aligns with his superhero persona a lot better than lots of other origin stories yeah absolutely um it's uh yeah it, i think it's really well done and obviously like they then redid it a decade later for the amazing spider-man and everyone was thinking what is the point <laughs> i've never seen any of those uh they are not very good because it's good people right yeah, don't get me wrong. Andrew I like Garfield. Andrew Garfield. I like Emma Stone. Emma Stone. Garfield. That's the, the plural. Yeah. Um, Emma Stone. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's got good people, but the movies just don't. They don't work properly. I, and I mean, it. It's partly because, um, they made it to keep the rights from going to Marvel. Yeah. And going to eventually then going to Disney, and that's the reason why they they started doing it let's be honest here yeah because there's a weird thing with sony isn't there just to then the rights just to yes bore sony everyone has off. the oh. so sony has the rights to make movies of spider-man <laughs> and so when spider-man appears in marvel movies the tom holland ones they're joint ventures between them but technically sony still has the rights to make marvel uh, to make spider-man movies which is why the venom movies and the recent Morbius movie, it's more it's than time. time. Um, <laughs> that's why they're Sony. They're, they're Sony productions instead. Have um, you seen it's Morbius? A really... No. Why would I watch that? Because it's more it than time. Ter... <laughs> it looks absolutely awful. I enjoyed Venom. Have you watched Venom? No, I've heard good things about that. That looks it nice and silly. It is very good. I think I'd enjoy it's that. Extremely, it's extremely silly. Tom Hardy is at his most Tom Hardy in it, and it works really well. Um yeah, that's really good. But um, yeah, The Amazing Spider-Man, 
not so much. So it's it's probably a curio to watch at some point, but it is quite bad. Mm. Um, yeah. The sequel is worse. Um, so yeah, the 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 Marvel ones are a step up from the Amazing Spider Spiders Man, but um, but I still don't think all all respect to to Tom Holland and his cheeky little face. I don't think those movies are as good as the Sam Raimi ones. Again, I said the the half of the one that I saw on TV, I really enjoyed, but not on the same level as as this. Yeah, I think they're good. Don't get me wrong. I was like, this looks like Spider-Man for Gen Z, and I think that's cool, but Sam Raimi's ones are for old people like us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's very few things that the the new ones do, and I've not watched all of them. but what I have seen, there's not that many things they do that are better. I like the fact that they look like they're high school students, whereas here everyone looks like they're in their mid-twenties. How old was Tobey Maguire? He was like 30. Sort of. He was 57 when he made 57, this 57, that's right. Yeah, he's 90 now. And looks <laughs> damn good on it. Um, but yeah, so so there's that element, which is, yeah, they... Um, you know, which was very much the thing of the time. From the oh no, he was he was twenty seven. I guess that's not too yeah, bad. Yeah, it's still bad if you're meant to be playing an eighteen year old. But <laughs> it's not it's not it's not that bad. And Kirsten Dunst was twenty, so that's much closer. But still, yeah, yeah, yeah. but still still a little bit older um, than than required. Um, but um, but yeah, so I like the fact that in the in the modern ones they do look like like the age they're meant to be. Um, uh, but apart from that, I think it's really only the CGI that's better because obviously this was made in 2002, yeah. which is still early in sort of CGI era. When you take that into account, it actually looks amazing, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. For the time, when you compare it to other stuff that was coming out at the time, it looks really good. None of it had a sort of PS2 um, Robert Zemeckis look at any point, did it? Apart from one <laughs> no. one moment. When the Green Goblin first appears at the party to rain on everyone's parade, he throws some kind of like acid bomb at some guys, and they like sort of decompose instantly <laughs> into skeletons. Into little skelly men. That was yeah. that looked like a still from the Black Cauldron. That was brilliant. Um, which personally, I love that scene, and I would not change anything. How <laughs> am I? How am I? When he says that is so funny, like proper um, scenery chewing ridiculousness. But because but- you can't see his mouth move. Somehow it's hilarious, and I don't know why. <laughs> it's just, it's imagining Willem Dafoe behind that mask, trying to enunciate like that, whilst he's got this big metal mask on his face. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, whilst we're on the subject, let's talk about how great Willem Dafoe is in this Absolutely film. iconic um, performance. So much so that I'm genuinely sad. I was genuinely sad when he died, because I was like, I want you to be in the other movies. Yeah, it... It, it's the one frustrating thing about these films is that the the villains are only in one movie each. You don't get that can that sort of return to them, which I know a, a lot of superhero movies do. But here it feels like a real pang, and I think that's partially because Spider Man has the best villains in comic books. You know, when yeah. you think about like Green Goblin, Doctor Octopus, Sandman, Venom. Um, who else have you got? You've got uh, the Kingpin. You've got Hobgoblin, you've got Electro, you've got the Shocker, um, you've got the Vulture, uh, Mysterio. You've got all of these amazing, really over-the-top villains. Um, and it's it it's kind of a double-edged sword because you want to be able to use another one of them in the next movie. But at the same time, you don't want to lose out on the brilliance of those characters. You don't want to lose out on Willem Dafoe. No, no, exactly. And he's perfect as Norman Osborn here. He is fantastic um, in this film. And actually, pretty much all of the performances are really good. But he's, yeah, I, I think, yeah. is the standout, along with J.K. Simmons, who only has a minor role, but who, like, every time he's on screen, I am wetting myself with laughter. Oh, yeah, he's he's absolutely fantastic in this. Um, as the, I, the, new, the, like, classic newspaper guy. Freelance! It's the greatest invention of the world. I'll send you a nice box of Christmas meat. <laughs> I was going to bring up Christmas meats, um, which is something I don't remember. I don't remember that line from from when I watched it when I was younger. What even is Christmas um, meat? That's I, I assume like is he sending a huge turkey meats? to Peter Parker's house? Like, oh, I, I was assuming more like a a, a, a smorgasbord. All oh, right, 
Oh, sorry, I'm um, still traumatized from the Schnorgist board. Every time I hear that now, I'm going to think of Juice Bigelow, Male Gigolo. As well you should for putting us through that. Um, no, I assume like a, a selection of like sausages and cured meats and things maybe. Oh, yeah, some nice like bacon. Like a little meat hamper, a meat hamper maybe. Um, but yeah, I think he's he's incredible as this character and it's... All of the performances are fantastic, but it's also an example of the perfect casting that these movies had, where everyone, with the exception of there's certain people in the third movie that I think maybe weren't the right fit, or at least I remember thinking that when I was younger. Maybe it's changed now, and I'm like, no, that's brilliant. Um, But certainly the first two movies, the casting in them is phenomenal, with these people perfectly matching the script and perfectly matching the tone that was required where you know green goblin here norman osborn is um he's campy and terrifying at the same time and that's exactly the tone that sam raimi excels at is having that over the top silliness with that menace running alongside it yeah um and the fact that he's managed to bring that into this movie that's a lot more accessible than say the evil dead films yeah which is where he cut his teeth Mm, yeah are you a fan of the evil dead movies yeah I've, I've only seen the first one a long time ago but i really enjoyed it have you watched the the remake of evil dead no which is very good actually ah. um a lot of horror movie remakes aren't good but actually that one is really good really intense but also similarly just ridiculously over the top so it matches it quite well um but yeah like e- evil dead through to army of darkness are just some great silly horror movies the first one not as silly but still has that kind of over-the-top tone to it um and it's it's really good that he's managed to bring his personality into this films and that's one thing that we don't really get with these big budget movies these days was is when they bring in these um directors with a real voice to them that voice can sometimes get lost but this feels like a sam raimi movie yeah, like we were saying about Taika Waititi, like I've seen so many people being oh, so delighted that he's doing all these films, but then they come out and they're a disappointment. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe Marvel is kind of squashing his voice. I don't know because I haven't seen any of them, but we were talking about yeah, that well, before, weren't we? Well, I think um, as a director, I really like um, called Scott Derrickson, um, who's done some really good horror movies. Um, he did... Um, the Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is sort of like a oh, yes. procedural uh, crime movie <laughs> meets horror film. It's a really interesting blend. Um, also did Sinister, which is a great little horror film. Um, but the, he then also directed Doctor Strange. All right, that's old Cumberbatch, isn't it? And that's Cumberbatch. And it, again, it lost a little bit of his voice. He was brought in to do the Multiverse of Madness, the sequel, um, and then was moved on from that project and hasn't been involved since with Marvel. Um, And weirdly enough, Sam Raimi took over that as director. And it feels sort of Sam Raimi, but it's, it's not, it's, it's, it still feels like it's subdued. It all feels like the color palette's been, been toned down it. So I think there is a problem with, of course you want a kind of um, consensus to your movies when you've got a big cinematic universe and they all tie together but you can have more fun with it than they do and i think the only person who's really been able to deliver a unique voice is um james gunn yeah i've still not seen any of the guardians of the galaxy films (laughs) guardians of the galaxy um and i think there the only reason they let him get away with it was that they thought oh no one gives a shit about guardians of the galaxy (laughs) Yeah. And they let him make it. And so they let him play around with it and have fun. Um, and then realised, oh shit, we can't do anything now that will subdue it for the sequels. Um, which I'm intrigued to see what the third one's going to be like. Um, but, you know, he, he's he got that very unique voice that's really followed with him, you know, through those two Guardians of the Galaxy movies that he's done so far. Um, and over to the Suicide Squad film that he did, which is very, very good as well. Yeah, you said... Um, but yeah, that's the, he's the only person I can think of that really maintained a strong sense of style right? Um, with those movies. Whereas this feels very strongly Sam Raimi. And when you look at the Sam Raimi movies that he made after this, they feel Sam Raimi as well. 
um which is which is really nice and yeah like you look at um peter jackson's um lord of the rings movies which feel really unique they don't feel like something dumped out by a studio that feels very generic they really feel unique as well which is part of the reason why so many people resonated with them versus stuff like the um dungeons and dragons movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> which, which is great in its that. own way which is great in its own way but didn't have that um didn't have that uh that feel to it um but uh but yeah i i, I think that the 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 sam raiminess of this is one of the reasons why it works so well and i think the excellent casting here is a big part of that. So, like you said, J.K. Simmons is brilliant. Um, uh, I like how he refuses to give up Peter Parker whilst he's being throttled by um, by the Green Goblin. It's like, oh, that's a that's a a good character moment for it him. It is, yeah. He's, he's just this this newspaper guy who's just all bluster, but he actually does have balls. Yeah, yeah. He he wants to sell his newspapers, and he doesn't like vigilantes. But apart from that, he's yeah, he's he's. I'd rather have uh, a J. Jonah Jameson <laughs> than yeah. any any media mogul in the UK right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Honest. Jeez, I I can't see J. Jonah Jameson going down an anti-trans angle uh, with his newspaper, for instance. <laughs> you know, <laughs> unlike any newspaper in the in the UK no. um, at this moment in time. Um, but. I think apart from that, the rest of the casting is really good here too. Um, you know, obviously Toby Maguire's great. For me, he's still the best Spider-Man on screen. Um, you've got James Franco being cucked at every turn, um, which is great. And we need more of that from James Franco where he does have to appear in movies. I think he should just be belittled on screen at every given moment. Yeah. Um, uh, you've got Kirsten Dunst, who's brilliant in everything, and this is no exception. Um Obviously, a lot of people think of this as being the big Kirsten Dunst movie, but of course, by this point in her career, she was already really established. She, was this before or after Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? This was, I think, before Eternal Sunshine. Yeah, it's around. It's not. It's pretty close, though, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Eternal Sunshine was what two thousand and three. I want to say two thousand and three, two thousand and four, something like that. A whole bunch of incredible movies altogether. Yeah, but I mean, you th- you think of her, um, you know, getting a start in things like Interview with a Vampire, <laughs> which yeah. is like six six years, eight years before something like that, before this movie came out. You know, she was already incredibly well established and continues to act in amazing stuff to this day. Um, still haven't watched The Power of the Dog, but I keep meaning to to watch. No, that. me neither. She was in a movie I really liked a few years ago called The Beguiled. Which oh. we should we should watch at some point. It's a remake of a well, it's a it's a book, and then I think um, what's his name Clint um, Clint Eastwood made Clint a movie Eastwood. of it back in the seventies, and then Sophia Coppola made a new version a few years ago. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, and it's basically a um, a soldier in the American Civil War turns up at this um, girl's school, and all sorts of jealous shit goes down <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's really really good uh nicole kidman kirsten dunst del fanning and colin farrell is the soldier um and it's just yeah a really well-made little drama slash comedy slash thriller slash everything um and so she's still making these really interesting movies to this day and you know it's, it's one of those things where it's just going to be exciting to see um see where she goes next with her career but you know obviously this is still one of the most iconic things that she's ever done and for good reason because her performance as mary jane watson is really good yeah um but even when you look at like the minor characters here um sam raimi's got his usual cameos and he's got his brother uh in as the other newspaper guy yeah um you've got bruce campbell being the compare at the wrestling that was good and they're all brilliant <laughs> you know the wrestling scene is very funny it's so great the human um, spider. The human spider. <laughs> yeah, and I love that it's um it's him who comes up with the name Spider Man. Yeah, it's a uh, it's Macho Man Randy Savage. It is. It? Yeah, <laughs> he's up against. Yeah. That's a nice touch for that era. Yeah, no, it is. It is really good uh, as Boomsaw. <laughs> <laughs> Do you enjoy wrestling? I think I've asked you that before. I used to watch it a little bit when I was younger. I've never really got into it, but I, I respect wrestling as this really unique form of storytelling that people fucking love. 
Yeah. So even though it's not quite for me, I really respect the artistry of it. And um, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk down anyone who enjoys wrestling because you know it is something that's really it's a fascinating piece of culture that I think more people need to have a proper look at and think of it as a different form of art from what people are expecting, and it crosses that boundary between art and sport, I suppose. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like every time I see it, I think this is really cool and fun, but I never like have been into it or anything. But yeah, you're right. I think it's a really interesting art form and yeah, crosses a lot of boundaries and isn't just dudes running around and howling bone sore and jumping at each other. <laughs> Buy me bone storm or go to hell. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but like, yeah, so it's it's always quite funny and and interesting. I think wrestling every time it's in front of me, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, uh, it's it's there's something really fascinating about it. That uh, you know, there is something brilliant about it, even though it's not quite for me. Um, but I I do enjoy when wrestlers make the move into other stuff. Maybe with the exception of The Rock, who I think hasn't brought enough of his wrestling persona into movies. Yeah, I think we needed more of more of The Rock in in wrestling, uh, in in acting rather. But yeah, like um, when you look at um, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, yeah, it was brilliant in all sorts of stuff. Um, obviously, um, you almost know him from uh, The Maniac in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's amazing. Um, but also, They Live, you know, the brilliant uh, sci-fi action yeah. by John Carpenter from the 80s. Um, you know, it's uh, you've got Jesse Ventura as well, who, who did that incredible transition of wrestler to actor to state governor. Yeah. to conspiracy theory tv host do you did you ever watch conspiracy theory with jesse ventura no <laughs> one of the best tv shows of all time not even lying you've got him turning up at the gates of area 51 and going i'm a former u.s senator for god's sake let me in <laughs> let me know what you're doing <laughs> really good um and uh yeah no and june sarpong do you remember june sarpong yeah um, yeah she was one of the co-presenters of conspiracy theory of, of course she was <laughs> absolutely iconic show that everyone everyone should have watched there were some real weird tv shows on at that era actually yeah um, around the same time as this movie came out you had yeah conspiracy theory of jesse ventura did you, did you ever watch extreme dodgeball no that was on that TV, rings a bell um which was dodgeball but extreme um it was yeah that was something um so yeah it was a it was a weird time stuff was changing spider-man had its finger on the pulse you know in terms of yeah in- including actors like that it had pe- people who were up and coming and people who were relevant but it wasn't necessarily like the biggest names ever you know was it i think it's it it was really well put together from that point of view and pitched at the right level yeah yeah, no, completely right. It's this isn't a movie which had pre-existing stars coming in. Um, even when you look at people like Willem Dafoe, you know you've got these these big character actors. Um, is this before or after Antichrist? Uh, this is well before Antichrist. All oh, right, no foxes here. <laughs> um, Spiders reign. So instead, it was getting these people in who had lots of ability or lots of potential and using them really effectively to tell a just incredibly evocative story that really tapped into what Spider-Man was all about. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, but you don't even have to know anything about it. That's great. That's what's great about it. It's an origin story. Like, if you know about Spider-Man, you know who Spider-Man is, you're like, oh, this is how he became Spider-Man. I always kind of knew that. But, yeah, radioactive spider, here we are. This is how the Green Goblin appears and whatever. But yeah, again, like I said, knowing nothing, you come into it cold, it's still great. And I think what's really interesting about it is it's not just, it wasn't just for nerds. It wasn't just for any particular people. Everyone loved that film at the time. I don't know anyone who disliked it. And even interestingly, um, my wife said to me, oh, you you guys are talking about Spider-Man. Which one is it? It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do the one from 2003. And she's like, oh, I love that film. And like, she's not into superhero stuff really at all she watched black panther with me and she enjoyed that but like it's not her jam at all but she went to see this in the cinema at the time she loved it as well and like all of her female friends loved it as well i think it had a really really broad appeal Mm, that marvel doesn't have anymore because marvel is for nerds now but at the time (laughs) this like really i think helped people to see comic books as well as not just a nerdy thing either yeah i don't know if i agree that marvel now is just for nerds i think 
Marvel now is very... It's for nerds on the internet. I think, well, I think Marvel movies are made for anybody, but the people who get really angry about them are nerds on the internet. I think there's a difference where the movies they make are just for anyone to turn up and watch, and that's why they keep breaking box office records time and time again. Yeah, the people you, you hear about liking them are the fans yeah and those are different from regular people who just go to the cinema and watch them and they're like yeah that was all right yeah you've got want to go to do something else now yeah cool you've got fans and then you've got fans with a capital f and those are the people who are the most irritating people in the world the problem is fans and, that, and that's that's true for everything and just not just talking about marvel here um talking about every kind of media if you're one of those people and you'll know if you're one of those people if you like anything basically you're bad <laughs> The only real answer is Gen X cynicism, which I think needs to make a comeback when it comes to enjoying popular culture. Yeah, there wasn't enough of that in Spider-Man 2002. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All, all too much heart to it. I think that the heart of this movie is really why so many people enjoyed it, is that, yeah, this is a superhero movie. But it's a romance. It's a romance. It's a human film. Um, and that's why, you know, this broadened the appeal. You're completely right about comic books to all sorts of other people because this wasn't just a guy in a costume saying one-liners and Shazam. and and punching people um this actually was a story about human beings which is why spider-man has had so much appeal over the years anyways because it is a, a comic book about human beings much more so than a lot of the other superheroes but this movie really gets to the heart of it and like you said the romance angle is actually really important in this film isn't it I think it's really well balanced against the superhero stuff in this film and it works really well. If you want to engage more with the romance side of things, you can. Like it doesn't over neither thing overwhelms the other and it's a difficult balance in film and I think this gets it right. Yeah, I completely agree. Um there there is that real fine line it walks where some people will get too bored of the action some people will get too bored of the romance side but actually it manages to really tread that path incredibly well and much better than any other movies of the same era that try to do the same thing like um the daredevil movie for instance oh that was which terrible. really really struggled that's um, a shit piece i think <laughs> yeah we should talk about that at some point because that that's got a very heavy focus on on uh, on romance um but here yeah it does it incredibly well it really manages to capture both sides without it becoming overbearing but conversely without it becoming just a surface level thing they've tacked on whether yeah. both strands feel intrinsic to the film as a whole it's not a superhero film that has romance in it it's like actually really important to his story yeah yeah exactly exactly and like willem dafoe does the the classic supervillain thing of capturing the hero's girlfriend but because a bunch of gra- groundwork has been laid to that or his his love interest a bunch of groundwork has already been laid about their relationship you're like this is actually meaningful to me yeah yeah exactly um you know th- th- this this does the cliche thing of um uh this this does the cliche thing of uh of doing the who will you save will you save your love interest or will you save this bunch of kids yeah um, because at that point you've actually established... and the green goblin says that yeah. to the camera to you the yeah viewer. he says this is the the <laughs> usual stuff we throw at these kind of heroes like it says it quite quite openly like that yeah which is hilarious which, which is which is hilarious um and um but yeah but by this point you do actually kind of care because you've established who mary jane watson is a character and actually you know her just as well as you know Peter Parker. You know, obviously, you don't have the inner monologues of Peter Parker that that uh, uh, of Mary Jane that you have for Peter Parker. But you understand her ambitions. You understand her desires. You understand her needs. You understand where she wants to be and what she wants to do by this point, which is rare for the kind of love interest characters in these movies, where often they are there just as a damsel to be saved. But here, because they're a character, they then can be someone who needs to be saved. And it's done in a quite straightforward way. You know, Mary Jane isn't necessarily complex, but like the few scenes you get sort of showing the fact that she comes from a home of domestic abuse and she wants to be an actor. And she, you know, she like says, oh, thanks for sticking up for me, Harry, when Harry doesn't stick up to his dad and to to her, his dad and stuff. It's like that all builds the character in an effective but very simple way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, this isn't, this isn't... um 
creating the most complex characters in the world and that's true of her and of any character in this movie really they're all they're all these archetypal characters for a comic book essentially because that's that's what an origin story is about um but they're done so well and they're done so so that you care about them there's a competency here that when combined with the artistry when you get those two things together it's really hard to do anything wrong yeah who was your favorite bumbling crook that spider-man beat up <laughs> I like the guys um the guys who follow mary jane into the alleyway with bad intentions those guys are pretty hilarious aren't they yeah i like the people robbing the armored car who then yeah. get uh that with the who get photographed um by 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 peter parker um, I like and when that. he saves the um, he saves the baby from the burning building, and then he's going to go back in because he hears someone screaming, and it's the Green Goblin, obviously. The, and the cops like, "You better come back here, Spider Man, so I can arrest you." And he just goes, "I'm not coming back." And the cops like, "Okay." Yeah, uh, and and that was a really interesting point there, where this movie doesn't delve too much into how New York feels about Spider Man. But it does just enough to help you recognise that actually he is changing the face of the city in an incremental way. So you've got the cops being like, oh, you know what? You do you. Um, You've got um, that amazing scene at the end, near the end of the movie, where where Green Goblin's about to kill Spider-Man. And then New Yorkers just start throwing bricks at him from the bridge and just saying you don't mess with spider-man you mess with spider-man you're messing with new york and what i really liked there was that that's also a um a real continuation of what spider-man's all about is about this embodiment of new york and um i don't know if you're familiar with miles morales the new well the newer spider-man i've seen some miles morales related content on the internet but i still don't really understand what it is so miles morales is also spider-man um either as a new spider-man alongside the other one or when you're looking at things like multiverse uh the the spiders verse um someone who's spider-man instead of peter parker um yeah and um basically one of the reasons it was so important for Mars Morales to come about is that that Mars Morales obviously isn't white. Yeah. Basically, when you look at New York um, and you look at Spider-Man with this huge cast of, of white characters, that's not really very representative of New York as a city. No. So I think it's really interesting that they decided... Well, the Green Goblin's green. <laughs> it's true. The Green Goblin is green. Um, so it's really... Int- it's not that easy being green. <laughs> so, so basically, they decided... Um, they, they, it, it was um, when Barack Obama was going to become president. Um, the Marvel Comics editor-in-chief at the time basically said, you know what, we're about to have our first African-American president. Um where are our superheroes <laughs> and thought you know what we've got new york um and we've got it being represented by by this this white character who um you know is supposed to grow up in this uh, this neighborhood that's actually a lot more more diverse um so instead yeah they they created this new character miles morales who's um who who's really interesting and and is very much an embodiment of modern new york in a way that that peter parker maybe isn't as big an embodiment but they've managed to basically do that transition of um of having a spider-man who feeds into and nourishes the city of new york as this really big thematic element of the character of spider-man um which i think is really interesting so yeah i definitely look into um into miles morales as a character i think you'd find it very interesting as a as a comic book historian slash expert I don't know what the best term for you for you is. Uh, well, the guy who studied comic books and doesn't really anymore. <laughs> I'm a comic book publisher still. We're still publishing yeah, comics, yeah. good comics, but like indie stuff. So yeah, I was never really interested in the mainstream stuff, but I do, I'm interested in the history of it and the medium and the art form and such. So that sounds really cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really interesting thing. And I think it's fascinating when you look at... Um, when you look at the cultural impact of of comic books as well, and equally how comic books are shifted by the culture around them, um, 
I think it's yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, Mars Morales, um, I think is a he's a he's a really interesting character, um, and had a really good video game actually the other year. They made a they made a video oh, cool. game. They they made a Spider Man game. Um, a few years back and then they did a sort of semi-sequel which was all about Mars Morales instead it was one of the launch titles for the for the PS5 I heard that was really good and, yeah um, and yeah both games are both games are great really really great adaptations of, of Spider-Man um, but yes uh, oh no I'm really sorry Paddy but I've just found out what What's the wrong? actual plural of spiders man is it is spider <laughs> The plural of spiders, it, man. Spider, spi- spiders, sp- spiders, spider men. There was a comic book oh, mini series called Spider Men, which was about Peter Parker and Miles Morales. <sighs> I refuse to accept this. I, I, I'm really disappointed. It should be Spiders Men. It will always be Spiders Men to me. Yeah. Spiders Men, Spiders Men. <laughs> anyway, um, Spider Man is good. It's a good film. It's good. Uh, yeah, we're talking about the romance. It's, it's good and it's believable. There are a couple of moments where it's a bit cringe, isn't it? Like when they're having their conversations and he's being all awkward and stuff. But you, but you believe it because they're teenagers. Yeah. That's the thing. You're like, this is actually a reasonably accurate portrayal of how teens behave in those situations. And you're like, yeah, that that's actually probably how it would go yeah, down. Yeah, it's it's, and uh... it doesn't do it too often that it gets that you're like, okay, this is tedious now. It's it's believable. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a goofy it's a goofy kind of way of talking about it. But this is a movie that's quite goofy anyway. So it all feeds into the tone that this movie has. Where yeah, it's believable that this really awkward kid's going to be awkward around this girl that he likes. It's just it's just the way it is. Yeah. And then conversely, you've got scenes like the the iconic upside down kiss scene, which is still one of the yeah. the go to examples of romance in an action movie. One of the greatest kisses yeah, on film yeah. ever. Um, so it really, it has both sides of it, and and does it really well. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a great film. It's a great film. Yeah. Although speak on the romance, I actually hate the end where he he like rejects Mary Jane after she says that she loves him. It makes sense, obviously, why there are going to be two more films, but I still hate it. I still want it to work, but you're supposed to hate it, aren't you? You're supposed to hate it, yeah. And uh, it makes sense why he does it as a character, because he's just witnessed her nearly dying, Aunt May nearly dying, because someone found out that he was Spider-Man. So it's about not risking them and and basically doing a, a Jedi life of solitude to to, to be yeah. a hero. Um, but the Green Goblin's dead, so like, why can't he just like tell her that he's Spider-Man? And then well, what happens that? when the Yellow Goblin or the Blue Goblin turns up? And there's always another goblin. There's, there's always another goblin. What happens when another villain turns up that that finds out who he is? That that's why he does it. Um, but yeah, and you're meant to hate it. You're meant to be like, oh no, no, they're meant to be together. But then obviously you've got the other movies to yeah. to yeah. to to um to discuss this will they won't they path between these two characters. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, no, it's it's a it's a bittersweet ending to this film. Um, and it works, obviously, and it and it works. It does work well, and it feeds very nicely into into the next movie in the in the series. Um, yeah. So, is there anything else you'd like to say about um, the score? Is really good, Danny Elfman. It's it's really really masterful. It's got that kind of soft piano for the romance stuff. It's got some lit, slightly out there orchestral stuff. It's got the sweeping epic stuff when you need it. It's a really good score. Yeah. Yeah, no, but it's brilliant. He does a fantastic job here. Um, Macy Gray, yeah, as, a song, as herself, as herself. The only um, potential issue I have with it is that the pacing is a bit weird. It's like you get halfway through and suddenly it goes from naught to a hundred. Suddenly, it it's like suddenly the as soon as the Green Goblin shows up, everything's happening very fast. But you, you don't mind it because it's good and yeah. it's fun. Yeah, I I think I agree. You get the sort of. Um, early development of spider-man as a character and then all of a sudden it's oh there's a big superhero and a supervillain now and they are fighting yeah and then that's what it is for the rest of the film yeah yeah but that's fine yeah so it's fine but you're right there is a little bit of a weird sort of pacing issue here yeah and at one point he says to him it's you who's out gobby 
And that made me laugh a lot. <laughs> Some of the stuff he says to the Green Goblin was very silly. I liked the uh, the very cliched, we're not so different, you and I. Yeah. The Green Goblin keeps trying to pull over and over again. Yeah, um, all of that stuff was totally ridiculous. Yeah. But because it's Spider-Man 2002, it's allowed. It's, it's perfect for the kind of movie they were trying to make it, let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that had been done in film over and over again, but I think this film is just self-aware enough, isn't it? Yeah, this movie knows what it's doing. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't lean into the mean-spirited nature of making fun of that. Instead, it's really a love letter to those kind of cliches from comic books. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is which is why it works so well. Yeah. Again, without being for the fans. Yeah, this is a, this is a movie for service. everyone. This is a movie that everyone can enjoy, except if you're Willem Dafoe in Spider Man. Yeah, unless you're Gobby. <laughs> unless you're Gobby, you're out, Gobby. <laughs> um, so I've got some trivia. Here. And also, sorry, last issue. The only issue I have, like, every there was only one of those gliders that was owned by that company, and he got fired. Obviously, everyone would know it was him who stole the glider and it was him who's the Green Goblin. But who cares? It doesn't matter. Well, I choose to believe that they were doing a big company restructure anyway because they're getting bought out. So they were going to sack a load of people. So maybe they had like, oh, shit, the glider's gone, but we've just sacked a thousand people. Like, yeah, it could have been Norman. But what about Barry in security? We let him go as well. The janitor definitely has the wherewithal to steal the glider (laughs) and become the Green Goblin. He's Nick the glider. Yeah. Um, so I've got I've got some trivia uh, here for you. So Willem Dafoe performed ninety percent of his own stunts. Nice. Um, that wow. makes me think that they definitely blew up a load of people and turned them into skeletons, and that was a real yeah. He did it for real. That was a real scene. He had the like acid bomb in his hand. <laughs> Toby Maguire had never read a Spider-Man comic book, but he liked the script so much that he took the. Oh, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, I think it probably helped with the development of the character because he then wouldn't have brought his own sort of comic book related preconceptions and baggage to it i guess as where it's more of a pure kind of character study yeah exactly exactly i think it i think it worked quite well the upside down kissing scene apparently there was a problem because toby Maguire's sinuses kept filling up with water because it was performed in the rain <laughs> um, as a man with a lot of sinus issues i can sympathize <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly um hugh jackman was meant to have a cameo as wolverine from the x-men movies oh. um, but apparently they couldn't get access to the wolverine costume so they had to scrap it and to be honest i'm glad so he did it in the nude and then they cut it anyway <laughs> he just he just turned up and started shouting about being wolverine yeah um well, they couldn't get access to the costume bullshit yeah it's like what the guy who had the code someone forgot the code to the dressing room or the door where they keep the costumes like what is that shit well who made the x-men movies was that sony as well i'm wondering if there was a or a rights issue or something yeah because i think the x-men movies were 20th century fox weren't they right okay so i imagine maybe there was an issue of actually getting the crossover done um from that side from a legal perspective yeah right that's always the way um and apparently Sam Raimi is a big comic book fan. He's got a collection of over 25,000 comic books. Wow. And so I, I, I think Raimi it shows. One of those capital F fans. Yeah, but you, you can tell in the way he's made this how much he loves the source material, can't you? This this feels like a proper comic book movie, but made in a way that it's, is accessible for, for yeah. everyone. Yeah, and I, and I love that. And it just feels like there isn't enough of that these days. It's, um, yeah, it's... It's it's not that I have time to watch contemporary missing. films. <laughs> you got no time for that. But yeah, I think I mean particularly the issue with like big cinematic universes is there's there's not a lot of time to make things accessible to newcomers because it's this one continuous story where even if it's a new character or a new set of characters, it has to somehow align with the wider story that's being told. And because everyone's going to go see it anyway, they're making the money so they don't care. Yeah, so it's, so it's really hard to find an in point to these kind of movies. Like, what do you do? Do you go back to, when was the Iron Man movie? 2010, 20, 2009? Yeah, but, but at the same time, the audience for them is already massive. So does it matter? Yeah. It's just a, a case of, like, it doesn't matter to them, obviously. But if you do want to have an in, then, yeah, I feel like it, it's nice when things are accessible. Not everything has to be completely accessible to everyone all the time. But these are such huge sort of cultural 
monoliths, aren't they? That it'd be nice to have more points of entry, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, they're in whatever phase of Marvel now. Is it phase three? I've got no idea. You'd have you'd have hoped that there would have been a really accessible way to get in at this phase, but really it doesn't seem as though there is. No. And I think, yeah, I think it's a shame. I think we need more accessibility into these big movies. Yeah. But if this is the first ever Marvel film you watch, if you've never seen a Marvel film, go and watch this. Yeah, this is a really good entry point. Just ignore but the, the CGI may, maybe looks a little bit old now, but there's not a lot of it. A, a lot of it's still practical. Only the skeletons, I thought. Everything else was fine. It, the, the characters look a little bit too bendy and weird. And the shiny green doing. goblin. He's very shiny. shiny. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, but this is a really good entry point. If you're interested in getting into comic books or comic book movies, this is a really good place to start. Absolutely. and But the, the scenes where he's like swinging through New York for the first time, those look really good, I think. Oh, yeah. No, particularly for the time. Um, I think I think it does does look really good. I've just got one little bit of trivia that I've just read here. And I don't know if this is accurate or not, but apparently Leonardo DiCaprio was considered for the role of Spider-Man. <laughs> I don't really think it's a good fit. <laughs> no. To be perfectly honest. No, I couldn't see that. He's buckled the swash in some films, hasn't he? But I don't see him as superhero material. No, no. Um. Anyway, uh, anything else you'd like to say about this film before we? Uh, no, I, I think we've covered it. You know, it's really, really good. It holds up really, really well. It's twenty years old. It's it feels like something that could have been made yesterday. CGI aside, it's yeah, it's really, really good. It's accessible. It balances the action and the romance well. It's a great story. It's just really, really good. Yeah. No, I completely agree with all of that. Um, so how are we going to rate this one then? How many spiders men? <laughs> how many spiders men? I uh, got a it's solid a very 16, straightforward question. 16 spiders men here. How's that for a spider verse? I'll go even one higher. I've got 17 spiders men. Oh, there we go. There we go. Cause I, I, I loved this film at the time and I loved revisiting it and not just from a point, a nostalgic point of view. I think I was able to be objective about it. Yeah, no, I agree. I, this this still holds up really well. Holds up really well. Spiders men, spiders men. How many <laughs> spiders men have you got in your house? In your multiverse, in your house. Look out! Here come the spiders men. That's the Beautiful. theme song. <laughs> uh, so we've got Spider Man Two next. Spider-Man 2, I'm very excited because I, I, I remember watching the first one over and over, but the second and third one I didn't see as much. I think maybe we didn't have the DVDs or whatever. I definitely saw them in the cinema, but I can't really remember them as much. So it'll be, be fun to revisit those. Oh, excellent. Yeah. yeah. Last thing, have you have you watched any of The Rings of Power? I watched a bit of the first one and it was good, but I had to stop because one of my kids was doing something. But <laughs> Damn, that's how, Damn that's kids how it is. doing activities. Of some description. Yeah. Uh, I've, Something that required my I've attention. I've not watched any yet because my other half is away on holiday. So we're waiting until she's Ah, uh, okay. Back. You're saving it. Um, and then, then Apparently it's woke. It's woke. So there we go. Lord of the Rings is woke I saw, now. I Lol. saw someone make a very good point <laughs> online, which was people are really angry about there being uh, a, like black people in Lord of the Rings because it's supposed to be like a medieval era. Well, why do they have fucking potatoes then? Yeah. <laughs> Apart from all the, you know, all that famously that stuff they famously had in medieval Europe, like the Eye of Sauron and all the <laughs> and, and the hawks and stuff. <laughs> Stop anyway, that shit. If you think that Lord of the Rings is woke and it's a problem, you're stupid. If you're angry, that's all I have to if say. If you're angry stupid. about black people being Lord of the being in Lord of the Rings, just fuck off. Like genuinely, yeah, just fuck, fuck off. Go go and watch <laughs> go and watch some shit TV shows made by useless, boring arseholes instead. And leave other TV to people like us. Yeah. But anyway, apparently people who are sensible think that it's good. And I enjoyed the little bit that I watched of it. And I'm excited to watch the rest. Oh, good. So it's nice to have a new fantasy series to wait for while them to watch while I wait for the Wheel of Time series 2 to come along. I have also been watching um, the new Game of Thrones TV series. Oh, which yes. Which is good. The House of the Dragoon. Yeah, the, the, the Panzer Dragoon saga. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, what an iconic game great game 
Um, it's good. I'm enjoying it. Matt Smith is excellent, and I love him in it. Um, it's. I can't picture him in something like he's, that. He's fantastic. I'll tell you that much. Um, it's really good. It feels like, so far, the best bits of regular Game of Thrones. Right. Um, whether they can keep that up and keep it neat and tidy like that is another matter. But so far, it's been very impressive. So, um, yeah, big fan. I've heard nothing but good things, but I will never watch it because I've never watched any of other Game of Thrones or read the books. So, so you don't actually, at least so far, there's nothing in there that indicates that you have to have watched the original series because it is a prequel. Okay. Um, and so I could. You in could, theory. in theory, start watching uh, Panzer Dragoon Game of Thrones. Yeah, but I still feel like I should watch the other one because it was such a big cultural thing at the time. And again, it transcended, didn't it? Everyone, people who don't like fantasy watched it. Yeah. But that also makes me want to not watch it. <laughs> so I probably will never watch it. <laughs> yeah, try watching the first episode and see how you get on. And if you're like, nah, this ain't for me. then uh, Yeah. If I get through, if I can get through all of the rings of power, then maybe yeah. I will. Um, and then, of course, we've got the, the Dungeons and Dragons new movie with Chris Pine. That I will absolutely be which watching. Which looks awesome. It looks so silly. I'm fully on board with it. I'm very up for that. Oh dear, so good. We have so much to look forward we to. We do, we really do. Uh, but most importantly, Spider-Man 2 next week. So yeah, Spide-Temba is coming at you. <laughs> the Spide-Temba of, of madness. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, if you if you haven't seen Spider-Man 2002, get on it now. It's really good. If you have seen it, it's probably time for a good nostalgic rewatch. Um you can find us on Twitter at Big Boys Don't Pod. You can email us bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com. There's a link in our show notes to our virtual tip jar. Um, and we'll be back next week to talk about Spiders Men 2. Indeedy. Bye bye. Bye. Have to sing like this to get interested from people in labels. Oh, oh, oh. I'm in a band. I can't sing or play my instruments, but I wear skinny jeans. Oh, oh, oh. Da, 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 da.